time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty. Don't even. I'm sorry. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't listen to the rest of yeah. your science. You know, that's yeah. on me. That's on me. Three, two, one. Let's go. <laughs> on June fifteenth, nineteen fifty-three, little after eight p.m. in the evening, at Sing Sing Prison in New York. A prison guard strapped a 37-year-old woman to an electric chair. The seat of the electric chair was still warm from the buttocks of her husband, who was electrocuted on it a few minutes earlier. Um, Yeah, not sexy. Usually, you know, something, a seat still being warm, sexy in this case, not so. Her rabbi, not as such. Her no, rabbi no. urged her to give up names to save her life and to protect her children, two sons, aged six and ten, at the time, from being orphans. Fuck. No, I have yeah. no names to give. Yeah. I'm innocent. I'm prepared to die. She said. The prison guards put a leather mask over her face, strapped electrodes to her body, pulled the switch, shooting high voltage through her body. The same voltage that had just killed mm-hmm. her husband. They turned the switch off. The prison doctor held a stethoscope to her chest. Her heart was still beating, so they turned up the voltage oh, and tried again. This time, smoke started coming out of her head underneath the leather mask, and this time it did work. She was right. fried. While this was happening, there were protests yes. happening all around the world, London, Paris, Asia, Africa, Australia, Canada. Canada, yeah. Um, urging the, the yeah. politicians uh, in those countries, uh, including uh, Winston Churchill, to reach out to Truman and get him to put an end to yeah. this. But it didn't happen. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were yeah. dead. Their alleged crime, selling atomic secrets, to the USSR. They were convicted mm-hmm. of espionage in 1951. They were the first American civilians to be executed for such charges and the first to receive the death penalty right. for espionage during peacetime. Now, um, yeah. Yeah, you wanted to say something, Princess? Just, well, Dr. Princess, just real quick, the other people that were involved with him that also passed on secrets to the Soviets about the atomic bomb program, how many of them were also killed? Uh, One, two, three, none. Um, (laughs) All right, just checking. Well, how many other people in the history of the United States have been executed for espionage? Oh, that's a really good question. There was only one woman before Ethel, if, if I may call her Ethel, and that was during uh, the after the Lincoln assassination. Uh, Mary Surratt, something I don't know how to say her name, but so Ethel's the second person mm. in the United States history. Mm. Now, and, and the evidence against her was dubious, but we'll go into that. Dubious. Now, these are going to be some strange episodes. Um, yes. Not like we ever yes. do non-strange episodes, but... <laughs> I originally said to Ray, hey, let's do a couple of shows about the Rosenbergs and explore their role in the Cold War because 
you know, I don't know a lot about them. I've always heard about the yeah. Rosenbergs and, and you know, knew the story high level. But, you know, that kind of bugs me. I, I really wanted to get into it. Right. But then as we started to research the Rosenbergs, I realized that in order to talk about the Rosenbergs, we needed to go back a step and we needed yes. to talk about Alger Hiss. And in order to talk about Alger Hiss, we need to talk about the Espionage Act of 1917. And in order to talk about that, we needed to go back to the dinosaurs. So the dinosaurs... <laughs> Strap in. Strap in. <laughs> We've mentioned Alger Hiss yes, exactly. and the Espionage Act uh, before over the course of this series, uh, but this has been a long fucking series and who can remember? But And we didn't go into detail on Hiss, um, so right. I, I, we're going to do that a little bit in order to set the stage, I guess, for the Rosenbergs. But the Espionage Act, let's start there. The Espionage Act of 1917, United States federal law, uh, was enacted in June 1917, shortly after the United States entered World War One, mm-hmm. and it was intended to prohibit interference with military operations or military recruitment yeah. to prevent insubordination in the military and to prevent the support of United States enemies during wartime. The Espionage Act, Espionage Act makes it a crime to obtain or communicate information relating to the national defence mm-hmm. with intent or reason to believe that the information may be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation. Not enemy, foreign nation. Foreign there's, nation, there's yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Obstruct the recruiting or enlistment service of the United States. Mm-hmm. Cause insubordination, disloyalty, mutiny, or refusal of duty in the military or naval forces of the United States with the intent to obstruct the operation or success of the military or naval forces of the United States to convey false reports or false statements with respect to the condition of the armed forces or with respect to the conduct of the war with intent to interfere with the operational success of the military or naval forces of the United States to publish Mm -hmm. any information with respect to the movements, numbers or condition of the armed forces or with respect to the plans or operations of the United States in relation to war, communicate or attempt to communicate with the enemy with intent to harm the United States. I like this one, you know, that one about to publish any information about the condition of the armed forces. Ah, so don't give anything away. Right. Yeah, if you say, look, uh, you know, they're, they're, I don't know, there's, 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 the morale's not great right. in the, the, this part of the army, boom, that's espionage. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, we've heard a lot over the last year and a bit um, since the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict started mm-hmm. that uh, Russia has cracked down uh, on its own civilians for talking about Right. You know the, the the war or calling it a war and not a special operation originally, and you know talking about the state of the the Russian troops or Russian morale, et cetera, et cetera. But the United States has the same kind of laws, uh, yeah. as you pointed out too. It's not just about an enemy; it's yeah. about you know any. to the advantage of any foreign nation, right? Yeah. Ally, law, enemy, doesn't matter. Sorry, sorry. The law was extended on May 16th, 1918. It's mm. a sort of a set of amendments to the Espionage Act, but it was known as the Sedition Act, which prohibited many forms of speech, including any disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language about the form of government of the United States 
or the flag of the United States or the uniform of the Army or Navy. Right. So it, they, they were they were repealed, those amendments, in 1921. The right. rest of the act remains, though. But I do think it's interesting. Yeah. Like, for a few years there, you couldn't even Talk speak sh- harshly exactly. about the United States government yeah. without, uh, yeah. you know, running the risk, at least, of uh, being charged under the Sedition Act. Right. Does that remind you years ago, I can't remember which Gulf War or whatever, when the Rolling Stones or Mick Jagger wrote that song criticizing the, the British government for backing George Bush, and he got into a lot of hot water. So that yeah, they have their own. Every every country has it, but they have their own version of you know. You can't talk smack, certainly in a time of war. Not that it's unseemly; it's illegal. You are literally hurting the effort of your country, and you can or should be punished in some way. I mean, so everybody does some some version of this, even if you disagree with the war. And in fact, that's the reason this was put into place in the first place, as I'm getting to. So the Espionage Act remains. It's been used uh, to prosecute a wide range of individuals and organisations, anti-war protesters, journalists, government employees. You know, uh, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, the Pentagon Mm -hmm. Papers whistleblower, was charged under the Espionage Act. Even in the 21st century, uh, Chelsea Manning, uh, Julian Assange, yeah. Which is insane because he's not an American. Right. Um, we can uh, make Edward laws Snowden. for other people. That's fine. That, yeah. That's how that's how amazing we are. Yeah. Yeah. Not even not even non-American citizens can criticize uh, America. Right. Um, yeah. Actually, there's a big. I mean, there's a big thing going on here at the moment. Um, a number of our politicians, including our prime minister, your uh, president Biden, is coming here uh, mm-hmm. in the oh. near future. That ought to be fun. And, um, you know, there's a huge um, movement here now, finally, with our politicians who have, you know, previous uh, governments over the last X number of years have just thrown Julian Assange under the bus. The current administration here is making efforts to try and get some sort of diplomatic result to get him out of jail. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, now, the law, the, the Espionage Act has been criticised by many, many people over the last 106 years for being too broad, for infringing on First Amendment rights. And right. in 1917, not long after it was passed, it was used against the socialist politician Eugene Debs. We've mentioned him before, and it was kind of put into place, I, I think, originally to go after guys like Debs. He was an mm-hmm. American socialist, political activist, uh, trade unionist created, I think, the Railway Workers Trade Union, one right. of the founding members of the Industrial Workers of the World. He was a five-time candidate for the uh, office of president of the United States, representing the Socialist Party for America. Can you right. imagine a day when there was a Socialist Party for America that had yeah. presidential candidates? Yeah. Those were the days. Um, <laughs> a year after the act was passed, Debs was arrested and sentenced to 10 years in prison for making a speech that obstructed recruiting. Oh, hey. What was it during the Vietnam when the woman would say, women say yes to men who say no to the draft, that kind of thing. I mean, you cannot do that. And some of them were arrested as well. But this is that that is not a sign of strength. When you literally have to crack down on someone for speaking out, that is not, I mean, I don't know what you want to call it, but that to me is not certainly not a sign of strength. Yeah, I mean, America, at least in a propagandistic fashion, tends to pride itself on freedom of speech as being very important. That's what we sell. 
to other countries. Mm. And we'll get into this later, so I won't go into detail, but that was one of the things that Truman was trying to do because, you know, World War II ends. We were going to bring everybody home. We were going to cut our budget because that's what democracies generally do. But Stalin keeps what he has because he doesn't want another invasion coming through Poland. Truman is trying to look tough because uh, he's, he's in FDR's shadow. And who's going to look great in FDR's shadow? So he mans up. He goes way too far with the testicular fortitude. And suddenly you've got a pissing contest. But the most important thing is between Truman and Eisenhower, they were trying to sell America is so goddamn awesome. God is on our side. But what really makes us special is our judicial system. We have all these fucking freedoms. We're dripping with freedoms. That's what we tell the world. That's what we want the world to see. We want the world to be like us. But we are the ones constantly breaking our own rules. And as in the next couple of episodes, as you will see, um, murky at best is our judicial system. Things get rigged. People lie. It's all for a good cause. So that makes it okay. But um yeah, we, we, we fall short plenty of times in the next couple of episodes, which is human, which is normal. A lot of governments do. But don't pretend like you're better than everybody else if you're going to be just as flawed as everyone else. Well, you know, as, as we used to say, I think, on the bullshit filter right. episodes when we were during um, COVID, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, um, you know, we don't have absolute freedom of speech in any country. Right. There's always, right. ha, always has been, and always will be limits. You know, as though you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater kind of uh, analogy yeah. that gets used. There yeah. are limits to freedoms of speech, and, and you know, there's good arguments for yeah. why they should exist. This is one of the limits in most countries. In Australia, there was laws passed a few years ago by um, the uh, conservative government that was mm-hmm. in power at the time that still exist, uh, where it, they made it a, a very, very serious crime to speak or report, if you're a journalist at all, about the conditions of the um, concentration camps that Australia right. was running right. um, offshore to the asylum them, seekers. Does the government call it something else? Yeah, yeah, um, fluffy, <laughs> fluffy, um, puppy land, fluffy, fluffy, yeah, <laughs> fluffy <Sorry>. rainbow uh, <laughs> unicorn um, holiday villages. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, there, yeah, there were doctors uh, going over there and coming back and saying, yeah, the journalists, uh, look, the conditions in these places are terrible. Um, there's rape, there's abuse, um, there, yeah. and they made it illegal to talk about it. Because uh, it didn't look good. Exactly. Um, same same reason Assange. Yeah. You know, Assange is in Belmarsh Prison, and the US is still trying to extradite him. Yes. Uh, his crime is making the US look bad by, by reporting the uh, about the atrocities being committed by the American military. Yeah, the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, Joe Biden gets up lost. and gives speeches about uh, freedom of the press and how important it is <laughs> to America. Very important. We love that. And we love policemen of the world and we love president is the most powerful person in the world, which we still use to this day. Please continue. I'm sorry. The Rosenbergs were only two of hundreds of Americans who we are fairly confident spied 500 for the USSR. Yes. They remain the only married couple executed for a federal crime in the United States and the only civilians put to death for yeah. conspiracy to commit espionage. No yeah. American civilian has ever been killed for espionage or treason, let alone conspiracy 
to yeah. commit those crimes. Right. Even during World War II, soldiers who deserted and fought with the Nazis yeah. and individuals convicted of treason only received life in prison. Yes. Uh, they weren't executed. So the, the Rosenbergs stand out as uh, a, a very interesting examples of the kind of hysteria that was going on in the US in the early years of the Cold War. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, by the time they were executed in June, obviously Truman was no longer in the White House. It was right. um, Eisenhower, but you know Truman was the president during the early parts of this when they For were being charged yeah. and their case, etc. Yeah, Ethel Rosenberg, as you mentioned before, only the second female killed for a capital offence in the United States following Mary Surratt. Now, nobody knows more about women executed by the United States government than you do, Ray. Tell us about Mary Surratt. Who was she? Shoot. Um, Did they meet meet and coordinate in her house? I honestly don't know. I I know that certain men were assigned certain targets. Uh, most of them fell through, obviously, except for John Wilkes Booth. But was she was she like the the keeper of secrets? Did they meet at her house? I honestly don't know. I just know that she was not long for this world after Lincoln died. She ran a boarding house boarding in house Washington there. that mm-hmm. John Wilkes Booth visited, mm-hmm. and she was accused of being his accomplice and was hanged in 1865. Ah, gotcha. Uh, the evidence, again, uh, regarding her conviction was pretty fluffy at the time. Yeah. yeah. The boarding house, by the way, still exists. It's now a restaurant in Chinatown in Washington, D.C. So there you go. You how how go times and, change. Yes. Yeah. Jeez. Um, so why did the Rosenbergs do? What did they do? We're going to get into that over the next few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll point out at the outset, though, they denied their involvement until the end. Yes. But today historians are pretty confident that at least Julius was guilty of something. Even their sons, who are still alive, Mm -hmm. admit Julius was guilty but have been trying for years to get their mother pardoned. They tried to get Obama to do it. Um, Don't think they bothered with Trump. Now they're trying to get Biden to pardon their mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe 100 years from now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get into the crimes um, mm-hmm. as we go. But I want to talk about reasons, if, if they were guilty, reasons people spy against their own country. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's uh, – I don't know about you. I mean, I, I don't know how patriotic you feel these days. But quite frankly, I mean, I, I've always felt that patriotism is a crock of shit. Patriotism right. is kind of weak-mindedness. Um the whole idea that you should um, feel some sense of obligation or loyalty to the country that you were born in mm-hmm. uh, or that you live in, I find right. kind of distasteful. Uh, uh, yeah. Not quite as distasteful as a country um, having a $100 million coronation for a 70-whatever-year-old <laughs> man and calling him a king in the 21st right. century. I find that on the extreme end of uh, offensiveness. Yes. Yeah, yes. repugnance. Yes. Uh, just absolutely, absolutely repugnant. Yeah. This is uh, slightly less than that, but still, you know, I find the whole idea of patriotism disgusting. Like if my country um, is uh, doing bad things or I disagree exactly. with, you know, the wars that are that it is involved in, 
or anything else that it does domestically or internationally, I feel like I have not just right. the right but the responsibility to call that out. Right. Um, and 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 if I feel like I need to fight against it, fighting against it in any way, shape, or form, whether it's uh, working with another country to try and influence what goes on in my country, or if it's you know on the extreme end, uh, just being a podcaster and sitting in my comfy little room and bitching about it. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me give you something to compare that to. Now, you, as you know, um, because you've studied American history, there was a time when I was a much younger person where we had to stand up, put our hand on our heart and do the pledges of allegiance every day at school. Did did Australia ever, did y'all have that? Or was that, because you and I know that Truman and Eisenhower, Eisenhower went deep, balls deep into religion, but we'll go into that later. Um, but they wrapped well, up the cult. in earlier episodes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, but, so we wrapped up. Patriotism, fighting the Cold War, saving the entire planet with uh, religion and patriotism. So, so you—it's it's just like anything else. You were brainwashed. We were brainwashed as children, and we have to spend the rest of our lives kind of undoing what was done to us. And what was done to us was nothing more than an expedient to get us to not question our country and to go along with everything, like you were saying. So, yeah. So I remember doing all this stuff and being so proud that I was a loyal American. We were all doing it together and it was camaraderie and social pressure. And, you know, you, you were a part of something. And now I look back and I go, Jesus Christ. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole idea of anyone doing that, particularly getting kids to that, I find uh, extremely offensive as well. I mean, I've been to parades in the United States with Chrissy and her family where everyone's standing there, with their hand on their heart. When the flag I goes the, by, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The first time they were all doing that, they were saying people were saying to me, Hey, put your put your put your hand yeah, on your heart. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, no. <laughs> a I'm not an American. <laughs> and B, what the fuck are you all doing? Yeah. Yeah. And church them, why, government. Why, yeah. why why are you doing this? Why are you putting your hand on your heart? They're like, it was we don't know. We just it was we just, just what did. we do. Yeah. It's we a re- it's it. literally a reflex. I, and I'm not. I shit you not. It was literally every yeah. So yeah. No, we don't. We don't do that. The only pledge Black ops. I've. Yeah. I'm 52. Right. I've just had to learn my first pledge of allegiance, which is uh, this is I believe constant practicing of the art of traditional Wing Chun will enable me to transcend to a higher mental and physical level. I shall show respect for the art, Grandmaster Chung, Sifu, Si Hing, and Si Dai. I shall employ my utmost tolerance and consideration when dealing with people and matters in and outside of the academy. That's the pledge that Chrissy and I need to give in our next Kung Fu right. grading in a week. That's good. Do you have to uh, tithe or is it just the speech? <laughs> we no, don't just, tithe. We just no, spend just, just like 600 bucks a month on Kung Fu <laughs> lessons. <laughs> but do you have a snazzy outfit? That's really what it comes down to. Do you have the, do you have the look? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we okay. got the, we got the look. He's got the look. He's got the look. Um, <laughs> so anyway, anyway, back to patriotism. I've always found what? it kind of weird and offensive, and um, yeah. But look, there are as I said before, there are lots of reasons why people will spy against their own country. Back then, in the uh, late forties, early fifties, yeah, a lot of Americans, well, not a lot, some Americans believed mm-hmm. that the monopoly that the U.S. had on nuclear weapons. Was bad for the for the human race. Yes. Bad juju. Yes, not good. Um, particularly, you know, if, if the United States ended up becoming completely fascist, then, um, yeah. 
yeah. it was a bad thing. And, you know, there were a lot of people that were very concerned about the direction of the United States government, as there are people today who uh, feel that. Yeah. In fact, I saw an interview on YouTube with mm-hmm. Al Jahis uh, right. from 1970, mm-hmm. and he was saying then, obviously talking about the Nixon administration, that he was very concerned with where the United States was going and the the level of division that yeah. existed oh. in the country back then. I was he like, ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a warm up. We just we were just Hold our beer. we were just warming up. We yeah. are we kill each other practically every day. Now you go on the wrong porch, you go on the wrong car, you play hide and go seek, your ass will be in it. And if you look different than me, we will shoot your ass. I mean we we are we're there. We're there. Yeah. Um, Manhattan Project physicist Theodore Hall mm-hmm. believed that he was helping point the way to a, quote, pathway to a better and more harmonious world when he was giving nuclear secrets to the USSR. <laughs> he right. worked on the first and second atomic bombs and gave a detailed description of the fat man bomb and several processes for purifying plutonium to right. Soviet intelligence. And he was worried, he said, about the emergence of a fascist government in the United States, didn't think yeah. that the, the U.S. government should have a nuclear monopoly. Uh, um, and, you know, there was a lot of people who, yeah. uh, including you know Oppenheimer, who right. didn't think that uh, the U.S. having uh, sole access to nuclear weapons was a, was a good idea. Yeah. As we've talked about on the show, you know, the idea originally was that they were going to share it with not only yeah. the U.K., but the Soviet Union. And then they decided, nah, fuck that. They didn't even really want to get the British involved. No, and Uh, we got started from British information. Uh, I don't want to correct you, but it was Truman who, uh, I don't know if he said this literally, but but he conveyed this on more than one occasion. Um, That person did not give, the person that you just said was not the main person responsible for passing atomic secrets on. It was the Rosenbergs. They practically did it single-handedly, and that's why they had to die. Uh, not true, but it made a good selling point when you're trying to execute somebody. So anyway, so we're going to go into all that, but the truth has very little to do with the the next couple of episodes because Truman and Eisenhower are going to be under a lot of pressure and they pull some rabbits out of their hat and their ass trying to get everybody to go along with them. And it's, it's not pretty and it didn't work, but more on that later. Sorry. So back to Hall. Oh, yes. Uh, Theodore Hall. Um, He wasn't the only, even the only nuclear scientists that were giving off secrets. Klaus Fuchs, who we've talked about before, Los Alamos uh, physicist, Mm -hmm. and others that we still don't even know who they were, were spying for the USSR. Hall's brother, Edward Hall, was a rocket scientist who led the US, uh, US Air Force's program to develop an ICBM, Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, mm-hmm. personally designed the Minuteman missile and convinced the Pentagon and Eisenhower to adopt it wow. as a key part of the uh, sort of nuclear triad. Now, uh, one of the reasons they didn't prosecute Theodore Hall right. was that Edward Hall was deemed too important to their uh, nuclear program <laughs> and they didn't yeah. – They well, no, they thought if they threw his brother under the bus – that he would go down with it. But oh, can't have that. The reason I bring up Theodore Hall is his name, along with Klaus Fuchs's name, mm-hmm. turned up in the Venona documents. Now we've talked about the Venona documents before. Do you want to yeah. do you want to take a guess at when we last talked about the Venona documents on this show, oh, Ray? Oh god. 
Uh, a year ago. I have no idea. Close. It was episode 24, October 2016. <laughs> uh, that was nearly a year and a half. Seven, I was off. I was off. Seven years ago, we talked about the Venoda documents. <laughs> Is this is this podcast going to be as long as the actual Cold War? Because that would be pretty badass, I think. Yeah, I think. If we live long enough. If we, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> the Venona Project, just to remind people, ran from 1943 to 1980. Yeah. It was a counterintelligence program created by the U.S. Army's Signal Intelligence Services, which became the NSA, uh, and it was basically set up to decrypt Messages transmitted by the intelligence agencies of the Soviet Union, the NKVD, mm-hmm. the KGB, GRU, etc. Right. Uh, during its 37-year uh, operation, it translated uh, roughly 3,000 messages from Russian to English, which sounds like a lot, but really, when you do the maths, it's yeah. uh, 81 a year. Yeah. Which is six point seven five a month. Like <laughs> there really? was more than that. Yeah. What yeah. do they have? The Ray Harris work ethic there. I mean, that's yeah. There was like, uh, yeah. you know, uh, listen, you know, <laughs> I work very hard part time. Um, no, so, so they get it in what they get it in nineteen forty six. They they kept all the messages that they could not read going back to nineteen thirty nine. And yeah, one by one, they start getting these names. Some of them they can't. Some of them they do. Some of them they guess. Some of them they're guessing about what was passed on. But yeah, so this treasure trove comes along. And the only reason I interrupted you and I apologize is because. As uh, as the World War II ended and the American government's getting more of these names, they realized that the Soviets, kind of like us, were spying on us the entire time. How dare they, sir? How dare you? Uh, even though we were doing it and we didn't want to, sh- we did not share the secrets of the atomic bomb. But the point is, it skewed our thinking even more against the Soviet Union, who helped us defeat Nazi Germany. But that was in the past. What have you done for me lately? When I look at that uh, work ethic, the only thing I have to say to the people running the Venona Project is... Up your fucking game. Yeah. (laughs) Amen, brother. They also had an Australian arm, by the way, which was set up by the Labor government here, which uncovered 11 Aussies also spying for the USSR. Everybody Venona Project revealed the existence of the Cambridge Five that we talked about way back in the day. Yes. Uh, remained secret for 15 years after it concluded. And That's not bad. That's the not decoded bad. messages weren't declassified until 1995. Now, of course, Stalin knew about the Venona Project <laughs> by about 1949. <laughs> of, was it Philby? Was... Um, 46 years before most Americans knew about it. <laughs> well, you uh, know yes. that – I'm sorry. I, Philby. But you know that Truman – there was a gap when Truman and the CIA themselves did not know about it. So, yeah, this stuff was hush-hush for a couple of years. That That's not bad. I mean, that's pretty tight. Tim Philby didn't find out about it, one of the Cambridge Five, until 1949, and then he immediately told Donald McLean and Stalin, and that's why right. McLean had to get out of Dodge because his name turned up in it. Yes. Um yeah. Back back to reasons why uh, people spied uh, yeah. well, against the United States. Yeah. One of them was mm-hmm. they felt loyalty to the USSR. Yeah. 
yeah. for fighting the fascists in World War Two. And let's they, help them. Let's help them. Yeah, yeah, and and they didn't. They they were concerned about the fact that the Soviet Union was being turned into an enemy in the United States. Right. Um, right. Even though it really hadn't done anything to the United States to justify that. Uh, they <clears throat> were being treated as an enemy. Details. Before World War II and then again after World War II, the communists mm-hmm. were treated as an enemy. Obviously there were people that were socialists. You know, they wanted to see the socialist experiment succeed and they wanted yeah. to help in any way they could in order to build a better world. Right. Um, especially after the Great Depression, a lot of Americans thought that capitalism was inherently flawed right. and corrupt, and they wanted something better for themselves, for their children, their friends, their country. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did it out of a sense of loyalty to their country, not in betrayal. I mean, if you right. genuinely think, uh, and as I'm sure a lot of people in the United States do today, mm-hmm. that your country has been corrupted by money uh, yeah. and psychopaths that are yeah. running the system of government, that are running the corporations and the other major institutions. Right. And you, you yeah. know that the the the, elect, the electoral system is corrupted and flawed. Uh, what do you do, you know, yeah. if, you, if you want to build a yeah. better country? You have or to, the, you know, try right. and help some outside influence um, help you. You exactly. help them to help you yes. build a, yeah. you know, a revolutionary movement, or a, whether it's a military revolution or a, you know, a civil, polite, friendly revolution based on education and uh, voting. Right. One one article I read was like they were along those lines. They were like, "Well, it's no longer my country. It's turned its back on me." You know, by breaking all the rules, by you know, by corruption and everything like that. So they turned their back first. I just returned the favor. So, yeah. So are you betraying the country that you don't believe in anymore? And a lot of these people did feel like America was going off the rails. And we'll get into all that. The Rosenberg's trial and the appeals freaked a lot of people out. A lot of people felt like, yeah, no, they were, you know, on some level they were guilty. But why do we have to kill them? That's what um, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But for a lot of people, it was, you know, just my this is not my country anymore. But never fear. Because the FBI had already worked all of this out. They had the acronym MICE. It's either done for money, ideology, like you just said, compromise or blackmail or ego. So, uh, yeah, so almost the reason some some way doesn't matter. 500 people that they know of spied for Soviet Russia. That's not just a few numbers. I mean, there there was obviously must have been a lot going on for those people to go, you know, I'm going to pass this on because I don't want just these guys, even though they're my own people, to be the only ones having the atomic bomb. I mean, a lot of people must have been very scared or frustrated to share that, to to risk sharing that information. Yeah. Now, someone else whose identity was hinted at in the Venona documents was mm-hmm. Alger Hiss. Right. Now, we've mentioned Alger Hiss over the years, but we haven't done a deep dive on him, and it's a really interesting story that I want to get into a little bit now. And because it was the Hiss case, I think, that really made America paranoid yes. about Soviet spies in the U.S. Yes. government. Yeah. If he could Hiss do it. was... Anybody. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Well, and, and he was not just nobody. Like, as exactly. we talked about before, exactly. Hiss was a player, a major player in yes. the U.S. government. 
Yeah. Um, he was a U.S. diplomat. He had been involved in the establishment of the United Nations. Um, he had been a U.S. State Department official. He'd been a oh, U.N. Yeah. official. He, he sort of got his start in the government uh, in the early days of the New Deal. Uh, he was a government attorney. Then in 1936, he and his younger brother, Donald Hiss, right. began working under Secretary of State Cordell Hull, who liked a bit of strange, as I recall, <laughs> A um, bit of strange pussy, a little bit of dark pussy Cordell Hull liked, I, I seem to recall. <laughs> but before you go too far, can I just give the origin story? I, I don't know if you're going to go back to this, and if you are, I'll be quiet. But just Alger Hisses, as far as I understand it, his reason for trying to accomplish so much and be such a patriot and do and 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 literally make a difference in his in his country's life i had no idea this um so i'm just going to do this real quick because it's staggering so he's born on november 11th 1904 he's he's from he's born in baltimore baltimore maryland both of his parents are from affluent baltimore family so not just anybody i mean but something then bad happens he's 2 years old his uncle loses everything or kills himself or something bad happens. Alger's father, Charles, tries to help the family. He, tries his, he sells everything he has. He tries to help the family. His father, Alger's father, Charles, gets depressed and he kills himself. How does he kill himself? He raises his neck. He takes his old timey-wimey old school razor and cuts his own throat, bleeds yeah. out. Now, uh, Alger was obviously he's only two years old when this happens. He doesn't know anything about this. He doesn't find out until years later. And when he does find out, as you can imagine, he freaks out and he tears his, bro his older brother new one for not telling him. Uh, a couple of years later, while Alger Hiss is in his 20s, and I'm going to stop soon, Alger Hiss's older brother dies and his sister kills herself. So you have two affluent uh, Boston, uh, Baltimore families. They come together. They, there's a family. There's more than one. All these bad things happen, and people gossip, and people talk, and they've lost pretty much everything because Alger's father sold his stocks, he sold everything, and he had to quit his job before he killed himself. So Alger is on a crusade. He's on a path. Clearly, he's affected by all this death and and, and loss of everything in his life, and he sets him up. He sets himself on a course. I'm going to restore my family's good name and honor. And so all those things you just met, just mentioned, well, obviously it takes a very intelligent person to do all those things and we'll go into that. But he set himself the goal of reclaiming the honor for his family. So he's not just doing this stuff because he's a, uh, a, he wants to be a player. This guy is literally trying to re redefine what it means to be a part of his family. And so he is driven like most people are not to just keep climbing some ladder to uh, levels of greatness or to be able to really be a great patriot to help his country. And that's exactly what, from what you just said, he clearly did with his younger brother. Um, and he's going to, he's going to, he's going to be in some very lofty air with a lot of people, but it was all the shit that happened when he was a kid trying to undo all of the negative that happened at a very young age. So this wow. guy's driven. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So um, in 1944, Hiss was named Director of the Office of Special Political Affairs. Uh, this is uh, sort of a department that worked on planning the post-war international organisations. He right. was the Executive Secretary at Dumbarton Oaks, where mm. they drew up the plans for the United Nations. He was right. at the Yalta Conference. Yeah, 
And then yeah. he was Secretary General of the United Nations Conference on International Organization, the convention that literally wrote the UN Charter. <laughs> big deal. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. This guy was no joke. He was a big right. hitter. Um, but then his name turns up in the Vedona documents. And even before then, yes. his name had been associated uh, with being a communist spy. Um, yeah. In 1945, J. Edgar Hoover delivered to Truman, mm-hmm. who didn't take him very seriously, by the way. Right. Truman, Truman, like <laughs> nearly every president outside of maybe Nixon, um, hated uh, yeah. J. Edgar Hoover. Yes. Um, but in 1945, Hoover delivered a 71-page report called Soviet Espionage in the United States. Mm. And it named many names that Hoover believed was a communist spy. One was Harry Dexter White, who I'll talk about a little bit later on, but he was at work at the time drawing up plans for the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. He was uh, very senior in the United States Treasury. Yeah. Uh, The other, another was Alger Hiss. Mm. Now, uh, Hoover was basically telling the president that two of the top intellectual architects (laughs) of America's plans for the post-war world were communist spies. Right. Now, Truman didn't take this very seriously. Um, Alger Hiss and Harry Dexter White were both very highly respected Mm -hmm. in uh, government circles at the time. Yeah. But then in August of 1948, a guy called Whitaker Chambers Mm -hmm. Testified in front of the House Committee on Un-American Activities, HUAC. Gesundheit. Right. And denounced Alger Hiss. Yes. Oh, August 3rd, now, 1948. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Chambers claimed that he had been a communist himself. Right. Uh, but that he had defected from the communist underground in 1938. Right. And at the time, in 1948, he was a senior editor at Time magazine. He had wow. written a, an article yeah. critical of the Yalta conference. Yeah. And um, he basically came forward and threw Alger Hiss under the bus. Now, he claimed to be a member of something called the Ware Group, W-A-R-E. Yeah named after a guy called Harold Ware, who was a agriculturalist and an American communist. Good guy. And did you read did you read much about this guy? I read that what he wanted to do, and you have to applaud this unless you are the grand poopa of the KKK, uh, he wanted to bring together poor whites and poor black tenant farmers in the South who were being exploited by the cotton industry's domination. So he's like, look, they've got all the money, they've got the political clout, but we've got the land and we've got the numbers. If we can get together and organize, again, not the worst idea in the world, um, then uh, we can we can try to better our position. Um, and Ware died in 1935, and who takes over the organization? Chambers. Who's the one who denounced Alger Hiss? Chambers. So these guys know of each other, have whatever seen each other, but the point is there's there's some history there. But because Ware was an American communist, even in the mid mid 1930s, there's the words communist and Alger Hiss going around each other in certain circles. Is it true? Is it not? I don't know, but the connection has been made by some because uh, he is a, he's going to be a part of this 
when he's working through one of the New Deal programs. That's the extent of what I know. Wes got an interesting story, mm-hmm. actually. Um, I read quite a bit about him. His right. mother, Ella Bloor, B-L-O-O-R, Bloor, right. converted to socialism in 1894. Oh, she got it on the ground floor. Good for her. She was a founder of the Communist Party of America. Wow. So where was what was known as a – he was a red diaper baby. Uh, <laughs> children of – Communist Party members, a red diaper. Second generation commie. I love it. Go ahead. <laughs> and he was a really interesting guy. He, he studied studied agriculture at university, then mm-hmm. bought and ran a farm uh, with the support of his father. I think his parents were separated, but his father – or divorced. Right. His father helped him buy a farm in his early adult years. Mm-hmm. Then he got into like shipbuilding when there was a lot of uh, that going on around World War One. Right. But then in the early 1920s, not long after the uh, Russian Revolution, he went to Soviet Russia to help them build collective farming to use his experience in American agriculture, American farming, to help the Russians. Um, Obviously, as anyone who's been listening to us for years knows or has read any history of this period, Mm -hmm. when the Russian Revolution happened, 1917, um, Russia was bare, had barely reached the Industrial Revolution. Yes. The, the czars had sort of held them back and they had this <laughs> whole, you know, this, this, this sort of serfs uh, that yeah. the barely literacy. had any legal rights. Exactly. Very high levels of literacy, very high level of, uh, you know, sort of rich people owning the farms and tenant farming and oh, they yes. didn't have a lot of uh, modern uh, equipment or modern techniques for farming. It's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why they had a whole series of famines over the next few decades while the yeah. Soviets were running things. Partly it, it always gets blamed on the Soviets trying to um, quickly modernise farming and, and set up this collective farming. But another big reason for it was was they were so – I mean, there was like dust bowls in the United States as well as uh, during this period. Yeah, right. yeah they, uh, people didn't understand agriculture very well, even in the United States, that, mm-hmm. you know, they had dust bowls because they had just torn up the top layer of soil. And, Absolutely. You know, not that I know fucking anything about farming. Oscar Pierce will have to come on and explain all this to us. But th- we didn't understand – Soil conservation and all that right. kind of stuff very well 100 years ago. So people were doing stupid shit even in uh, the more developed countries. But in places like Russia, it was even worse. Yeah. And so Harold Ware thought, okay, well, I know a little bit. So he went over to Russia in the 20s and wow. mostly from the 20s until he died in the mid-30s. Yeah. In 10, 15 years, he was going backwards and forwards with his wife at the time to Russia helping mm-hmm. them set up this collective farming, bringing equipment, bringing money from the United States. He would raise money and equipment in the right. U.S. and take it over to Russia and trying to help them do this stuff. Really interesting guy. And then he died in 1935, age 46, in a car accident. Yeah. Uh, ran into <coughs> a, a truck. Right, right, right. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's anything suspicious necessarily no, about joking. it, yeah. but – Anyway, he set up this thing, an informal group of communists called the Ware Group. Now, according to Whitaker Chambers, mm-hmm. the purpose of this group at that time was not primarily espionage. Its original purpose was the communist infiltration of the American government. But espionage was certainly one of its eventual objectives. That's how you get ahead. You got to play the game. Sorry. 
Tim Weiner, in his book on the FBI, writes, this was a crucial point. Infiltration and invisible political influence were immoral, but arguably not illegal. Mm -hmm. Espionage was treason, traditionally punishable by death. The distinction was not lost on the cleverest member of HUAC, Congressman Richard Nixon. He had been studying the FBI's files for five months, courtesy of J. Edgar Hoover. Nixon launched his political career in hot pursuit of Hiss and the alleged secret communists of the New Deal. There's another reason why the Hiss story is really important is Richard Nixon really made himself famous by going after Alger Hiss and the communists. He rode the wave, yeah. And he has uh, J. Edgar to thank for that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there was this really murky uh, relationship between J. Edgar Hoover and Richard Nixon mm-hmm. very early on. Um, for Nixon and Hoover became quite close very early in Nixon's career, possibly because Nixon, you know, hated communists as much as J. Edgar Hoover did. Right. And, um, you know, they sort of protected each other over yes. the course of uh, many, many decades. Yeah. Uh, like um, sort of Hoover also protected LBJ for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. He was another guy who was uh, very close to Hoover. It's not what you know, it's who you know. and that uh, Particularly change. when the who was Jay Hoover. <laughs> and he, he knew about it, everybody's it was, peccadillos. Yeah, so Hoover it was what you know because he <laughs> knew everything about everybody. Yeah. Did you – I don't know if you saw this. I just read this last night. Um <gasps> There is uh, Alex. There's a thing that's come out about you know Alex Haley. He Alex Haley. Um, wrote Roots, right? Right. Yeah. And he oh, also God. wrote the autobiography of Malcolm X, right? In which he quoted. Um, he did an interview with Martin Luther King in I think 1965, where he quoted King as speaking really harshly about Malcolm X, basically throwing Malcolm X under the bus. Damn. Uh, A journalist, an investigative journalist, has just found the original transcript of the original interview that Haley did with MLK, where MLK was misquoted uh, by Haley in the original article Mm-hmm. I mean, like he didn't necessarily agree with Malcolm X, but he didn't say the things that um, right. uh, Alex Haley said he said Trying about the vision. Yeah. Malcolm X. Yeah. yeah and we know all stuff. about the yeah. FBI's uh, letters to MLK telling him he might as well kill himself. Yeah. yeah. You know, they they knew that he was banging some chicks on the side and they sent White evidence women. of it to his wife. White, White women. women. Don't do that. Yeah. It's a big no-no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sent evidence to his wife, tried to ruin his life. Right. And probably had him whacked. Anyway. It, well, MLK was told his wife, look, I'm just trying to better the relations between the blacks and whites by personal close contact. Um, sure. Don't, don't get mad at me for my methods. All right? <laughs> I have a dream of me and two white women. You know what? Don't, mm, let's just move on. Let's just move on. <laughs> I have a dream that all it's the white ca- pussy in the world will be on my day. <laughs> it's called Menage a Trois. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Where were we? Now, back to Whitaker Chambers. Please, God. He had been telling people that Hiss was a secret communist since 1939. Yes. First, he went to the Assistant Secretary of State, Adolf Berl Jr., 
Good name. Milton Bell's father in 1939. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adolf's cousin. Go ahead. Go ahead. Adolf Augustus Burl. Yeah, imagine growing being up called that Adolf call during me Burl. World War II. Come, call me yeah. any <laughs> fucking thing you want. Just don't call me Adolf. What would you say oh. your name is again? Oh, look, just A. You know, A.A. A. Burl. A.A. A. 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 Burl. Um, I'm going to the courthouse. I'm paying the 20 bucks. and I'm getting my name changed. I'm sure there's a lot of other Adolfs there in line right now. Yeah. Anyway, he didn't get he didn't get far with Adolf. Right. Um, then uh, who else did he tell? He told the FBI in 1942. Yeah, that Hiss was a communist. They didn't take him seriously. Right. Why didn't they take him seriously? He's he's straight white cis male. I don't know. He, he's he, uh, was it Truman? Was it he was under the Truman umbrella? I can't remember. No, they didn't take him seriously because he was a communist. Yeah, you, know, you can't believe you. Oh, You're you, a communist. oh you mean the source? Consider the source. Okay, I, I misunderstood. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Chambers said, like a, "Well, I was a communist." Like, yeah, yeah, you're a communist. I'm not going to believe anything you tell me. You trying to bad mouth his? He's a hero, an American hero. In 1945, a Soviet defector mm-hmm. mentioned his, and a woman called Elizabeth Bentley who right. also claimed to be a former Communist Party <laughs> member and a, was right. a Soviet spy who had defected, mentioned Hiss to the FBI. Now, they didn't take her seriously at first either. Right. Her, according to Tim Weiner's book, her files were claimed, her claims were filed in the nut box. Right. She was emotionally unstable and an alcoholic, so her testimony was seen as useless. Um, and I'm like, who wasn't an alcoholic then? Oh, yeah. Jade Gahoover. Jade yeah. Gahoover was a teetotaler. Everyone yeah. else was an alcoholic. But it was a cross-dresser, so he had his own thing. But yeah. the point is yeah. two, sp- two spies who Americans shouldn't trust are turning in a third spy. No, yeah, no, that checks out. Yeah, no, that's a reliable source. Sure. The FBI eventually put her in front of HUAC anyway in 1948. Now, right. she's got an interesting story too. Bentley mm-hmm. was part of something called the Silver Master Group. Oh, that was a network of spies centered around a guy called Nathan Gregory Silvermaster. He was an economist with the United States War Production Board during World War II. Mm-hmm. His network became one of the most important Soviet espionage operations in the United States. Again, wow. one of the members was Harry Dexter White, right. the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury and the head of the International Monetary Fund. Mm. Like, Damn. You know, that's a get. They, that's a good get. And, and again, like the point I want everyone to think about is right. these leading members of the intellectual elite in the yes. United States in the yeah. 30s and 40s and to the 50s were communist spies, allegedly. Um, right. You know, these weren't dum dums. These yeah. were really uh, very, very smart, very well-respected people who and were spying doing, right. against the United States uh, to try and help the Soviet Union. Not for money, exactly. They had ideals. They, they, there's a certain, you know, the great communist experiments or maybe their country's going in a direction they don't want. But, uh, but everybody that we're talking about, as far as I know, you can tell me, 
Um, if you uh, you probably did more research, I'm, but I'm not reading about um, the Rosenbergs pulling up in a Porsche or leaving their million dollar flat in New York to, to go turn themselves in. I mean, there's not like a lot of money exchange, you know, relatively speaking, exchanging hand. These people had other motivations, and they really did think they were doing the right thing. Yeah. On um, August 13th, 1948, Harry Dexter White testified before HUAC, denied being a communist. Mm -hmm. After he finished testifying, he had a heart attack. Okay. Left Washington to rest on his New Hampshire farm, had another heart attack. Sure. And died two days later, age 55. Makes the accusation, exit stage left. Yeah. Well, mm. not makes denies the accusation. Den- I'm sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, and then dies. Um, right. There's obviously conspiracy theories around that. I, you know, people believe Vladimir Putin did it, and um, you know, Putin had right. him killed. Yeah. Oh, and we want everybody to know that even though the FBI is like poo-pooing these people coming in, at some point after this, and, and if you had the exact date, that would be great, but J. Ed- Edgar does have Hiss and his wife followed for the next two years, and their phones are tapped. So he they might not be following up on this aggressively, but he's like, you know what? And let's be honest, it's J. Edgar. He doesn't really need much of a reason to get dirt on you because that's kind of his hobby. But, but Hiss and his wife are now being followed by the FBI. A, a file is being built on them. Yeah. Illegally. Uh, Illegally, yeah. I should, I, should I, should have, I should have pointed that out. Sorry. <laughs> yes. As we've talked about on previous shows, I think, um, Hoover was told again and again by the Supreme Court, <laughs> right. you can't. You can't, can't wiretap people's phones because you like, feel sure, like sure. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I can't do it. Yep. And then you go out and just yeah. wiretap the judge's phone. <laughs> and um, he would look at a judge and go, hey, tell Sally I said hi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So, um, Hiss uh, protested his innocence, denied right. Chambers' accusations, and insisted on peer- in appearing. In front of the House American House Un-American Activities Committee himself to yes. clear his name, Damn so right. he testified August fifth, nineteen forty-eight, denied ever having been a communist or even knowing Whitaker yeah. Chambers. Yeah, I don't know that name. Yeah. Richard Nixon, um, who we know was a big believer in always telling the truth, um, <laughs> to his tape recorder. Please continue. Man of very very high <laughs> moral and ethical standards. Right, right. He was he he was a dog with a bone. He was not going to let this go. Well, he had been given access to top secret FBI files, right? Written by a Roman Catholic priest called John Francis Cronin, mm-hmm. who had infiltrated labor unions in Baltimore, used his position as a priest right. to sort of infiltrate labor unions during sake. World War II and was reporting on communist sympathizers inside the labor unions to the FBI. If, if like you could, Richard yeah, Nixon was yeah. in uh, not Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan was in Hollywood at the right. time. If you could hold on for a second, I'm going to call up my brother-in-law, Eric, who is a uh, Catholic priest, and ask him if spying and infiltration of labor unions is one of the many courses you have to take in the seminary or whatever it's called. So I'll let you know as soon as I – but but a Catholic priest spying 
on labor unions who are trying to better themselves and to have some kind of collective bargaining being ratted out. And but wait a minute, he's a priest. If I tell you something and that's pretty fucked up. If I'm just a guy, that's fucked Look, up. But if, you, if I'm a if you tell me you're freak. fucking little kids, that's one thing. I can't talk. I can't tell I can't anyone about that. <laughs> but if you tell me you're a communist, right. you know, oh, glo- gloves I'm, are off. I'm going to gleefully turn you into the FBI. Please continue. I apologize. <laughs> he wrote a paper, um, Cronin. This is called "The Problem of American Communism in 1945," which he gave to the FBI. And Mm -hmm. in that, he wrote, in the State Department, the most influential communist has been Alger Hiss. Ooh, naming names. Yeah. So all of this goes in front of HUAC, and they're prepared to dismiss the whole thing, partly because Alger Hiss was so very well respected. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Particularly, you know, at this stage by... By Truman, by yeah. um, you know, uh, Supreme Court Dean Atchison, yeah. Secretary of State, justices. He yeah. was highly, highly respected, right. and also because there was a lack of evidence. Uh, there was, Is that was just Whitaker, Whitaker Chambers' word against Alger Hiss's word. Right. But this Richard Nixon guy, as you said, <laughs> dog bone, <laughs> is not prepared to let this go. Right. He, like he sees an opportunity to make yeah. a name for himself here, and he believes where there's smoke, there's fire. And so he decides he is going to personally lead an investigation into this to determine right. who is lying, Chambers yes. or Alger Hiss. And, and I think I, that's where we're going to, yeah. I'm sorry, just real quick. Yeah, so the HUAC committee, like you just said, does not want to touch this. And so what do they do? They bravely, they boldly pull a ray and they set up a subcommittee, put Nixon in charge. And he's like, don't worry, Gov, I got this. And he goes balls deep into trying to find out who, which one of these communist pinko motherfucker bastards is lying. Go, Nixon. Sorry. And we'll... Finish the Alger Hiss story <laughs> and get more into the Rosenbergs uh, next time on The Bat Show. An iron curtain has descended across the continent.